One thing I can't get enough of as a people leader is feedback. Do you love feedback as much as I do? If so, please consider writing a review of All Hands and rate us wherever you listen. Welcome to All Hands, a podcast brought to you by Lattice, where people success is business success. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. One challenge we can all relate to is hiring. How do we attract talented workers in today's extra competitive market? How do we discover talent with the right skill set? And most importantly, how can we hire inclusively? We all ask ourselves the same hiring questions. And today we're talking with a people leader who came up with a different answer, skills-based hiring. As we got the results and started to gain more and more applicants by removing the degree and then the diversity of the applicants increased. And then after we hired, the performance overall was increasing. The diversity was increasing. The retention was getting better. We said, hey, there is, there's something here. Obed Lusaint is the Senior Vice President of Transformation and Culture at IBM. He has reinvented IBM's hiring pipeline to be more inclusive and inspire more innovation and growth at this iconic company. Obed, I cannot tell you how happy I am to have this conversation. Thank you so much for hosting this topic. I think it's really important that organizations and leaders think broadly about skills and how to fill talent gaps to build a more inclusive economy. So personally, thank you. I don't think there is a soul alive working in the in the tech space today uh, that is not keenly tuned in to the fact that hiring is more competitive now than ever. And when I was doing my research on IBM and your approach, something that stood out dramatically is this idea called skills-based hiring. I think this is absolutely fascinating and I need to know every single thing about it, if you will allow. So we'll, we'll start We'll start with the, the, the high level. What is skills-based hiring or what does that approach look like? Great. So we, we we're going to have to spend a couple of days if you want to know everything about it. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> so what do we mean by skills-based hiring? Um, we have an approach which we prioritize the right skills of in-demand Um, skills over specific degrees when looking at talent. So prioritizing skills is so important, especially when you consider that in this country, so in the United States, 67% of people don't have a degree. So if you focused on degree populations, you are taking out two thirds of the workforce, right? Um, So Today, 50% of our jobs do not have a four-year degree requirement, and it forced us to, and our managers and our leaders, to say, what's the real specific requirements of the job versus putting on lazy criteria that creates dumb barriers for um, a lot of great talent that could help us to close our talent gaps more effectively? That's amazing. They're not intelligent barriers. They are lazy. And I think that that's really important as, you know, as our listeners are thinking about writing their job descriptions, which is something that I think is very undervalued generally. Uh, You copy paste, you grab a template, but to really put it through that filter of, is this intelligent? What is really necessary to get the job at hand done? And and so to, to say very critically, what do I gain 
from this person having a specific degree from a specific university. That's right. And sometimes it's helpful to use experiences outside of your particular industry. The rule programs like 110, the New York City CEO Jobs Councils, the Business Roundtable, we're we, we operating as consortiums of companies that is trying to address this issue. The example that I loved is of an airline challenging themselves on skills versus degrees. They said, why are we? Why do we have a degree requirement on pilots when so many of the world's best pilots come from the military? Our normal bias would say, "Why don't you want a degree for a pilot?" But when you are flying, do you want a certificate or experience? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. I know my answer. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I, when I'm up yeah. there, I'd rather somebody who've experienced this than read about it. <laughs> so. I, I, want, I want hours on the clock, baby. Hours on the clock. <laughs> I think it's helpful to pull examples that challenge our bias and our assumptions. We do have to challenge ourselves about this because, you know, if you look at it from the candidate's perspective, right? So the candidate who has all of the qualifications to do the job well, it puts them in a challenging mindset when you see this requirement. They say, I can do this job. You know, I can be successful at this job. But then here is this one requirement that isn't necessary in order to do it. The candidate knows it. So we've created an environment so that we're not inclusive. And, and it's preventing our organizations from being inclusive and getting the insights that could be extracted from that phenomenal talent. I, I love this so much. And tell us that stat again. What percentage of the population in the U.S. does not have a degree? 67%. That is significant. <laughs> it's significant. And then it gets higher when you start taking it to really underrepresented minority groups. So it's 70% for Latinos, 73% for Indigenous people, 77% for Black people. So when you start to look at those demographics, you are excluding significant parts of diverse populations. And we know, right, we know in our in our profession and as business leaders that having diverse and inclusive teams just challenges the mindset of the organization. It drives greater levels of innovation. It drives greater levels of inclusion um, into the organization. And that causes us to perform more effectively. If we were to take it one step further, just for fun, being a candidate and reading the qualifications, like you said, putting someone in the right mindset. So establishing that, that safety, that feeling of psychological safety to read through and say, do I meet all of these expectations. And when you look at the stats, oftentimes it's the cisgendered straight white males who say, eh, most. Everyone else <laughs> says, well, I missed one of the 20. I probably shouldn't apply. And so it's it's meaningful. It really is meaningful, especially as we we focus our hiring strategies around reaching and in, you know, addressing diverse populations. So focusing on that top of funnel to start from literally jump to say, hey, we're here and we're open. Do you sometimes require a, a college degree for some roles? We do. Uh, and then 50% of our jobs do require them. So there's a place for it, but we just have to put it at the right places, right? Yeah. The other thing is what we find is a number of people who don't have degrees may go and continue their education 
after, you know, to continue to progress their careers and for jobs where it may re- where it may require it and it's necessary or need and needed and in being able to perform the jobs well over time. I want to call out the fact that IBM is not a young company. So I'm a sucker for fun facts. And I thought that this tidbit was not only interesting, but it really helps put all of this in context. So IBM was founded in what, 1911, right? That's right. So if IBM has been around for more than a century, that's before the Titanic sank, before World War I, and of course, before we had personal computers, which IBM invented. And so now that we are here in 2022, you are leading the skills-based approach and strategy within your hiring. What problems were you facing that led IBM to adopt this strategy or approach? Uh, it's a great question. But let me also start by saying I was not here for the whole 111 years. <laughs> Fair. Thank you. Let's put everything in context. But if we were to step back and say, hey, what was the problem that we were trying to solve? In our industry, we've been experiencing shortage of skills for quite some time, right? And very specifically, we were looking at about seven, eight years ago, we were looking at the profession around cybersecurity. We just weren't finding enough individuals with the skills in order to perform the job. And we started to say, okay, what do we really need in order to fulfill this demand? And as we went back through the the role descriptions, that's when we started to look at them and say, hey, we're asking for things that aren't necessary, or we are asking for capabilities that we can build as individuals come into the organization and then make them great for a job. So it was very specifically skill shortage, very specifically, and we started in our cyber security environment. As we got the results and started to gain more and more applicants by removing the degree and then the diversity of the applicants increased. And then after we hired, the performance overall was increasing. The diversity was increasing. The retention was getting better. We said, hmm, there is there's something here. <laughs> and so it was it was good for business. Right. So I think it's important that we distinguish sometimes people think that these are philanthropic efforts, right? right? So while it does have social good, it really was what drove us was a business need in a business in a business gap. And it is this is a, a proof point around, you know, how intentional inclusive efforts drive a business result. And it was a business case for us that causes us to double down and scale. Write that down, listeners. What you want in your job is to drive business results. And guess what? When we can have our cake and eat it too, when our numbers and our key metrics start moving needles on things that also we feel are are potentially even a moral imperative, that is the good stuff. That is when you know that you're doing the right thing and that you are in the right place at the right organization doing the right work. And so these two things do not need to be mutually exclusive We talk a lot on this podcast about how good people strategy is good business strategy. I'm wondering how skills-based hiring has benefited the overall products at IBM. Are you seeing more innovation? Are you you rethinking other maybe out-of-date systems? How, How has this really impacted the output, your products? One of the ways in which we've been able to look at um, the outcome of our work is just being able to say, okay, a year, a year after hiring individuals, 
How do we evaluate them? We have our performance um, development systems historically have measured business performance, innovation, client success, um, responsibility to others and skills. And what we found are individual teams, right, that are more inclusive. They have higher performance assessments in the innovation bucket. Individuals, and then we've looked at this using our engagement data, our inclusion data, and then put it with our financial data on quota attainment for sellers. And then we find individuals who feel like that they are on more diverse and inclusive teams generally hit five points greater of target incentive than an individual who just called who would answer neutral to not. And then so we're seeing the power of the teams executing better together, the individual being able to share ideas that would not otherwise be heard. I often say to our own team that it's not enough for us to look different if we sound the same, right? So, you know, one is diversity, the other is about inclusion. So if we if we look and sound different, that's where you get the power of inclusion is, is in our innovation. We've also seen in the past five years is that it's new revenue streams, right? So as a result of these, um, you know, 45% of our revenue comes from things that's been innovated in the short, in the short term here. So it's about getting um, new teams, diverse teams, pushing each other to find new new sources of income, um, new ways of working, um, and reinventing the way in which we operate. You are you are so speaking my language. I advise a number of founders now, and I, I put up a little diagram that is similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, if you have diversity, equity, then you can start focusing on inclusion. Those are your behaviors and your values and all of those good things. Only then can you achieve that feeling of belongingness, that, that engagement that you really, really need so that you can then, guess what sits at the top? Innovate. You cannot get to the most creative space within your organization if you do not pass through those other gates first. It is simple as, as our most basic human needs. But we, we have conditioned ourselves to, to think and feel that our talent pools are very small. But the, the reality is, is that this world is filled with incredibly talented people whose resumes and journeys might look a little bit different than having been immersed in one particular geography or, or being a part of a certain demographic or, or working at a certain, you know, within a certain industry. Uh, and we are just writing off some incredible talent. One of the very best hires I ever made. Uh, I plucked out of a Target store in the Bronx. Uh, he was he was working at and leading uh, a store there. But I got a few side eyes about. Well, this person doesn't come from tech. Well, guess what? That person is incredibly successful today, and I am so proud of of his path and his accomplishments. And so that that's the question I'd like to ask you, which is. Can you tell us a success story of, of one of these incredible humans that, that came through the, the funnel and is now thriving? It gets me excited and it just gives me the chills when I think about some of these um, individuals who really made a transformation in their lives and their careers. So I'll talk about um, even a, a personal friend of mine who was uh, who is with us now. Um, and, and so she uh, she was in the retail industry for for decades, right? Um, and was really into 
uh, into retail and it was super curious around technology. As the pandemic hit and particularly hit retail hard, it gave her an opportunity to rethink what she was interested in. She found, um, and in not even a conversation with me, but she found our new collar um, website and started taking a couple of the micro credentials around data science and unbeknownst to me applied and then went and got accepted into the apprenticeship program and it is now doing um, data science for the retail industry and is killing Amazing. right there is uh, a story of uh, an individual who was in our Raleigh office and he was working as a as a barista um, and just across the street from our offices and would see IBMers come in there all the time and hear them talking and was curious and then he he said hey I'm working on I'm working on an app and and then they said oh and then start and started talking and then one of our managers started to mentor him uh, and then as he applied to our apprenticeship program and then now he's on I think his third promotion in the last several years <laughs> so so there's incredible stories, individuals who were in tech and then they left the workforce to care for a family, um, either a new family or aging parents. They may have been certified in a whole nother profession. We had individuals who come who were baristas, who were truck drivers, who were um, uh, who were nurses, who were teachers all who were redefining who they were and had a tech curiosity, right? They And, and that's all it takes. It starts with the curiosity. That is so much more effective than having the skills today, especially in tech. You may have been deep in an area now, but, you know, a couple of years from now, that's obsolete. So you want the individuals who've got that curiosity, that passion, that drive to keep learning that hunger. We have them working in analytics, in automation, in AI, in um, in quantum, right? Um, all individuals who came in through our tech reentry program. So, so there's some exciting stories. I'm nodding my head furiously because yes, yes, yes. It, it is so much of that. Not only you have individuals who are deeply curious and committed to lifelong learning, who are attracted to to your your employer brand, right? They, because you are creating these safe spaces by having programs where someone can specifically read a job description or read a program description and say, "That I could do that," and then they can shoot their shot, right? That's right. Shoot your shot now. Let's shift it a little bit to to the pragmatic. So for our HR leaders out there who are listening in, these are all really incredible programs. And, you know, IBM being a larger company with a lot of resources, uh, presumably a lot of resources, to be able to build very robust programs, I know that there's, there's a translation to every size and stage of company here. I'm wondering if you have any advice generically or specifically for HR leaders or folks working on HR teams to be able to present a program like a, a tech reentry or or by simply reimagining uh, their their archetype for, for talent. Sure. I'll share our approach. Then I'll go to, you know, where you might start. What was a game changer for us was really focusing in changing the conversation at the company to focus on skills. Because that was the problem that we're trying to solve. We're trying to close skills gaps, give people the skills that was necessary in order to drive, um, to drive progress and change. Now, um, I 
think it, uh, if I, if I was a people leader starting brand new, um, at this particular concept, I'm like, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? Is it a skill shortage? Is it an inclusion issue? Is it a retention issue? So going to the heart of the, the, the issue that is, um, causing the executive team the most angst or are your clients the most angst and then going at and creating the business case from that perspective. And then so when our focus on skills is what drove us to the programs around apprenticeships, um, a, a re-entry program, it caused us to then take a long-term view. And 10 years ago, almost 11 now, we created a program which was a six-year high school, right? This is another form of our new collar initiative, which is what we call PTEC, which is um, Pathways to Technology, Education, and College, right? We create these schools now. There is uh, almost 300 of them around the world where leaving from middle school, going into high school, they graduate with a four-year four, um, four uh, high school degree, um, diploma, but also a two-year associate's degree, right? And then, then go into the workforce. And then that helps to close those, those gaps. But I would start very specifically on what's the most significant business problem that we're trying to solve and then build the approach around talent management that addresses that challenge. This is about outcomes. And so if you keep going back to the problem, th- what they're ultimately telling you, if, if you do face resistance, is that that is not the right problem or we don't agree on the problem that we're trying to solve. I think it's important to talk about techniques. How do you actually get from point A to point B? And then one is um, is identifying, I, I think the change management is huge. And in some of the ways in which you can run the, cha- the, run the change is identifying a small cohort of individuals who, you know, you can get as champions behind this in the corporation, right? So we had a couple of individuals who raised their hand and we worked with, and then to take, um, and then so starting with the cybersecurity, it proved out that it was working. And then we showcased the talent, right? And then that got the flywheel going. So pick a place and then get the flywheel going. And then that drives the change. The second thing I'd say is that we had to realize that we we underestimated how much change management would take with managers and with recruiters, right? So we created a program around hiring training and then created a license to hire, right? So license to hire for a manager and for our talent acquisition professionals so that it helps them to rethink selection sources of candidates, how to screen candidates, et cetera. So really taking them through training on what it means to hire in a skills first world. So so just a couple of things. So really focusing the how on start start somewhere, start small, scale out, pick a couple of champions, re showcase the talent and then reinvent the way in which you train individuals so that you could get to the right selection principles. I love that. Those are all, I can start on that tomorrow. You got to baby step your way to change. Um, it, now, practically speaking, I'm just curious, who led the trainings? So your, your new hiring training, I'm assuming there was also then a, a, a revisit to your management training and talent development. 
we put a team together around selection, right? Really hone in how do we better select for IBM, right? And so this team was uh, with some data scientists, some behavioral scientists, and then we really looked at what's the best way to more effectively train our, our managers to do better selection. So personally, so I, I um, was was involved with this small team. And then- I had a feeling- yeah, and what we did was we created training for three cohorts, right? The cohorts were managers, it was the recruiters, and then the third was individuals who interview but may not be a manager or a recruiter, right? So we might have a technical SME who you have involved, but they, if you didn't train them, they could bias the selection process. In the interview, right, they could stumble a candidate with the way in which they react that could rock their confidence for the next interview. So you have to think about everybody that is in the recruitment process. That's amazing. The assumption is that you can't just hire folks from potentially different backgrounds than you had previously and then just throw them into the existing framework or structure for performance management, talent development, all of those things. So again, here, the assumption is that that then, you know, you could, you domino, right, into then first we start with selection, then we move into these other trainings. That's right. It was so selection onboarding, and then what I would describe as wraparound services, right? Because we have found that the, so what I would say around wraparound services is um, services for the candidate and themselves. So support um, education to help them, you know, with their first 90 days, with their first um, 180 days, and then thinking about the 180 to the 365, um, giving them access to um, stronger education. What we found was that our um, the employees who applied and joined us from the new collar jobs were doing twice as much. Our average employee was doing about 88 to 93 hours of learning on our platform annually, whereas these individuals who are coming in through apprenticeships in our new college program, we're doing about 200, right? So so going back to that insatiable appetite for learning and then building the wraparound services around it, right, um, helped them to really drive and be successful. And, And so it was just ensuring that those wraparound services for the candidate for the manager and mentors were built during the onboarding period in the first year, a year to two for our candidates. What I like about it is I can tell how thoughtful you you and your teams have been about this. It feels very intentional. And and I guarantee you that your candidates and your employees are feeling that too. Uh, So I I think it's probably is very, very good energy and time well spent. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So part of it was a creation and an agility and a change along the way, right? So as we as we trialed an error, because we goofed on a couple of things, right? <laughs> um, but then, hey, hey was, if you didn't goof, it means you weren't trying hard enough. That's right. That, that's right. It was learning from them and then reinventing the processes, and then that's why now. We're so proud to be working with so many organizations. It's helpful to um, for for organizations, to consortiums, and uh, and operators like yourself to help to amplify these stories. So it doesn't it doesn't have people in roles like mine shy away from this tremendous um, uh, talent pool, right? That will make our organizations perform better. But it's to learn um, and to and to benefit from the great talent that is available in our markets. 
That, I mean, that's it. You, you've nailed it again. It's people strategy is good business strategy. And if you can align the right, the right folks at the, the table to build and support and sustain these programs and to really challenge the way we have done things for so very long, there could be some very beautiful results. And I, I love that you are able to do so um, and are continuing to do so at IBM. That's a beautiful thing. Obed, it is time for rapid fire. I'm assuming you know what rapid fire means. It means I'm going to say things very quickly and I want you to not think and just give your, your first blush answer. First one's a layup. Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> okay. In a world of Zoom, virtual background or real background? Real. I'm so glad you said that because your background is gorgeous <laughs> uh, <laughs> and deserves to be real. <laughs> Next question. What item on your desk right in front of you or whatever is, is in your, your environment sparks joy and why? My AirPods because uh, I love to walk and talk, <laughs> you know, so from that standpoint, I could take a walk, get fresh air, still have a conversation or a meeting. Um, so, so that brings me joy because it could get me outside. <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. So tell me, What's the one thing you do at the end of the workday to signal that you are off duty? Well, right now it's been putting on a fire. <laughs> so, cause it's still cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful tradition. Yeah. Put on a fire. Livy loves to put on a fire and to snuggle and start a movie. So that is, that is a great experience that I wouldn't trade. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. Next rapid fire. Did people operations find you or did you find people operations? It found me. I started my career thinking that I was going to be an investment banker. Um, and then I realized oh. I wanted to make a lot less money. So I moved to HR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I'm not interested. <laughs> I love the complexity of people. There is nothing that is more complex than the, than the human. So when, you know, trying to solve people problems is, or challenges and dilemmas is just so fascinating and is you're never done. So it's cool. <laughs> it is, it is lifelong work. Truly. Next rapid fire question. What's one skill that all great people leaders have? Listening. Says the man whose AirPods spark joy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite productivity hack? Focus. I, I think way too many people try multitasking. And if you just stay in the moment and stay in the zone, you'll get far greater done and it'll have greater impact, is my opinion. I, I literally wrote that down this morning. I said, stop multitasking. <laughs> I, I need more. I need more monotasking in my life for sure. <laughs> last rapid fire question. When was the last time you were deeply proud of something you had accomplished? Today. Today, just this conversation and in talking about um, skills first hiring and how it's creating a more inclusive environment. And, and I'm not not me personally, but the company um, and the journey that um, we have we have traveled in the past eight years makes me um, humbled and deeply proud of co the colleagues who have made this possible, but also the colleagues who trusted IBM apply for these jobs and have made us better. 
I love that. That's my favorite question of, of the podcast. It's getting to the end and having a little bit of reflection. And from where I sit in, in my seat in this conversation, you have so very much to be proud of. And I am so grateful for your leadership and your authenticity and how you show up to work every day and, and how you share that work, not only internally with, with your colleagues and sharing, you know, just so gracefully the, the credit for, for building something together collaboratively, but also sharing this with the world. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and, and our listeners' hearts. Thank you for, for being so open and sharing. And please, please keep leading authentically. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for having this podcast and amplifying this tremendous story. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. Join us next time on All Hands to hear how CEO Simone Tate encouraged half of her staff to take parental leave. It's a competitive advantage for us that on our team, a quarter of the team have gone through IVF in the last year. We have lots of great new episodes coming up this season. I talk to people leaders at Calm, Vice, and Envoy about mental health and resilience, reinventing an organizational culture, and building the very best hybrid workplace. Follow All Hands on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a new episode. Learn more about how Lattice can help your business stay people-focused at Lattice.com or find us on Twitter at LatticeHQ. All Hands is produced by Lattice in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Christine Swar, Annette Cardwell, Rachel King, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Jessica Pilot, and Carter Wogan. Until next time, keep leading authentically.